We are, uh, first of all, uh, happy Resurrection Day. Like, this is the day. Like, this is, this is what, it's, what it's all about. No, every, other, every other holiday, every other, I mean, this, this is, without this day, uh, it, it's all meaningless, isn't it? Like, like it has, we have to have the resurrection. We have to, and we'll talk about that a little bit more um, here in a few minutes. We are, um, I chose this year to, to do a, a series called Legacy and to finish the series on Easter. And so if this is your first time, this is the last of the series, but it's also a standalone message. You don't have to have the rest of the series to, to, for this to make sense. But we, we've been talking about leaving a legacy. How many know it would be a good idea that, that when we die that, that something lives on after us? right, that, that people can, like, take the baton and keep going. Wouldn't that be a good idea? And there's all kinds of legacies that are left. Uh, I'll tell you this, um, whether, whether you like it or not, you'll leave a legacy. It, 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 we're just, we're just kind of defining, like, what that legacy looks like. It's going to be one that, where people look at your life and, and say they, they lived it all out for the Lord. They left it all on the, on the field, right, so to speak, that, that, that they, were, they were sold out for Jesus, or it will be a legacy of something else somewhere in between. I don't, I don't know. You get to decide. That's the thing. You get to decide. You get to decide here and now. Maybe today will be the day. Maybe this will be your defining moment to decide what type of legacy you're going to leave. We, we've looked at different people over the last few weeks who left legacies and things we can learn from their life. I, I thought that today might be an appropriate time to talk about Jesus. Would that be a good idea? Amen. All right. All right. Uh, we, we did have breakfast this morning, and so I know that after a meal, it kind of takes a little bit, get the blood flowing and all that stuff. And so some of you that are used to falling asleep um, anyways, can I just pinch yourself? Just pinch yourself. My grandpa, I'll just tell you a quick story that uh, my grandpa, a longtime preacher, preached all his life and everything. And, and he, uh, uh, he attended my dad's church where I was on staff at in, in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, every once in a while, I got to preach. And it, it always discouraged me when I preached and I look over right about where Christy is and Grandpa was, uh, was asleep. And I'm like, what's going on? And it happened uh, fairly regularly. And one day I found out that Grandpa had a heart condition that, that put him to sleep. And, and so what he started to do was drink Mountain Dew as he came to. So I don't know, I don't know if that helped or not, but, um, but there you go. That's free this morning. Legacy, living a life that lasts. Here's the main thought. If we could walk away with this today, um, this would be the thing. Is the greatest legacies are built when people choose God's will over their will. Man, out of everything that we've learned the last few weeks, out of everything you could hear today, the, the greatest legacies are built when people choose God's will over their will. Bottom line. There was a... Um, there was a Chinese woman and her daughter. I, I read this story um, years ago in a book called uh, um, Jesus Freaks, and it was a modern version of, a, of an older book um, called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And so, there, it was a, so Jesus Freaks was all about people that really laid their life down for Jesus. And, 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 in, and in this context, I mean, people would, would die, people would be put in prison because of Jesus. You know, I told you last week that this has been happening, like, um, all over the world to this day. More people are dying for Jesus than ever in history, like, today. Like, we've got it made. We can actually come into a building like this with air conditioning. Some of you are like, turn the air conditioning on, please. You know, like, we can come into a building. We can have breakfast. We can, we can sing out loud. We don't, there, there's, there are places all over the world where they have to, they can't sing loud because for fear that, that they're going to die. They're, they're in these underground churches where they have to whisper their, their hymns and their songs. And, uh, I mean, it, it's incredible. There's this, so there was this lady years and years ago, a Chinese lady and her daughter, that were arrested and put in prison, uh, and her daughter was, a, was a, I'm, I'm thinking she's like, she's probably like Aria's age. My daughter Aria is like four. And her, so the mother and daughter put in prison because of Jesus, because of the confession of their faith in Jesus. They were arrested for that. And they were told that, that uh, day after day, day after day, they were told that if, that if you would just renounce Jesus, we'll let you out of prison. You could go free. But as long as they held on to that confession of their faith, they'd be in prison. Day after day, day after. You can imagine as a mother or as a father even, but, but imagine as a mother, you're sitting there with your, with your daughter and you're starting to think, man, for the sake of my daughter, right? I, I mean, it'd be one thing if it was just, just about me, but, but, but what about her? She didn't make this choice. I made this choice 
for her, and, and we're here together in prison, my, my young daughter. And one day, the, the lady made, uh, uh, renounced her faith in front of all the powers that be because of her daughter, and, and they let her go. Her and her daughter, they walked out of prison, and they weren't too far down the road when the daughter looks at her mom and says, I don't think Jesus is happy with you today. And with tears running down her face, they turned around and went right back to the prison. Now, I don't know that you and I are going to ever have a story like that. Maybe if we live long enough, maybe someday. I don't know that our choices, our defining moments are going to look exactly like that, that, that when we say we choose God's will over our will. How many know that her will, that wasn't a bad idea, save her daughter? There was just a greater truth. There was a greater will. I don't know if it's going to look like that. But what I am wanting to challenge us with today is to leave that type of legacy where in the face of, of everything that, that seemingly against, in the face of, of adversity, we would say, God, I choose you. I choose you. And maybe that little girl's voice would echo in our hearts as the four-year-old became the teacher. Jesus. He left an incredible legacy. People, um, even if they don't follow Jesus, even if everybody would believe that he was at least a historical figure. He, he, he was at least a, a man in history. He was, he was one of the greatest revolutionaries. He, he, was, he was such a disruptive figure in history. Uh, you either loved him or you, or you didn't. I mean, he, he was, he was the, the guy that books were written about and, and re- central to um, the, the Catholic faith, the Christian faith. He, he's, he's at least a, a good prophet, prophet in the Muslim faith. But, even even atheists would say that a man named Jesus lived. They just we just debate on the details. And so Jesus, we want to talk about the legacy that he laid down for us to follow in. Um, Resurrection Sunday morning. This is what it all hinges on. Matthew twenty eight, starting in verse one, it says this: After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week. And so in other words, Sabbath was, was sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday. And, and so after the Sabbath on the first day of the week, the first day of the week would be Sunday. And, and so this, is, this was the time frame. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, when you read some of the other versions of this story in the other Gospels, you start to realize that these ladies uh, didn't believe that Jesus was going to be uh, alive. They were coming because they, they thought that he was dead. In fact, they were bringing spices and they were going to finish the, the burial process and all of that stuff. Like, in fact, man, the, the disciples, they would have been the ones you think, right? They heard, they heard Jesus talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, that he was, was going to die and he was going to be risen from the dead on the third day. You would have thought they would have known, but especially the women, because women always catch on a little bit faster than men. And these, these women, like, they, they supported Jesus. There's other scriptures that say they, that these women supported Jesus out of their own means. And they came to the tomb, and they were defeated because, because their, their master, their rabbi, their, their teacher, the, the one that they followed, the, the one that they hung all their hopes and dreams on had just died. And they, this wasn't a victorious moment. This was a moment of grief for these people. And they went to look at the tomb, and and there's, there's, there's a, a little bit of time between this first verse and this second verse because the, the earthquake didn't happen when they were there. This is a, a description of, of what had taken place before. It says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. And these stones, these were huge stones, and they would, they would have fit in like a groove and they would have rolled down into kind of like a, like a little, uh, uh, little place where it would be hard to move this stone. It would take, it would take a few, uh, quite a few men to move this stone. And they did that on purpose so that nobody could like loot the graves and, and do all of that. They, so they put this stone in place. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And here's our victory, right? He is not here. He has risen just as he had said come and see the place 
where he lay. In fact, why don't you, I think there's a picture here. Brad, do you see, we have my, my brother and I, I'll just show us, yeah, there you go. Um, I don't, you could probably tell uh, who's the better looking brother. We're standing right in front of one of the places, um, there, there's two common places where they believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened, and, and this is one of the places, this is called the garden tomb, um, very peaceful area. Uh, in fact, the, as, you, as, you, as I show you more pictures in a few minutes, you're going to start to see that, that man, it's, it looks like this could have been the place. Now, do we know for sure? We don't know for sure. I'll tell you what, I was closer to where it was than I was here in Kearney, Nebraska. But this is one of the places where they think it might be. And as, as I just keep, you could keep that picture up. And, and so this, uh, as we go on, it says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Isn't that an interesting, like, almost feels like an oxymoron. Afraid yet filled with joy. And ran to his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, earthlings. No, I mean... Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. There's a, uh, so we, so we, have, we have this picture. Do I have another picture, or is this the only one of the? Yeah, and then we, we got to go inside. Good news, there was nothing in there. Is there another picture? And this was the, these were the pictures of, of walking inside the tomb, one of the two locations where they believe Jesus was laid. This was an amazing moment. If you read um, uh, the article I wrote for our Spirit of Life newsletter, it, it, uh, it was an amazing moment for me. It was cold. It was rainy. I was miserable. This was the one day on the whole trip that you didn't want it to be rainy and cold and miserable when you got to go to places like this that you're like, if I go to Israel, right, aren't there like a top five things that you want to see, and one of them including this? And this was the day that you're like, oh, my goodness. It's, my, I, I stepped in a puddle. My, my shoes were wet. My socks were wet. Can you just feel it with me? We went straight from here to a place where there was a canopy, and, uh, and our, our team um, went under there. It was, it was a little bit drier than it was out there, and, and we, we received communion and had a great moment of reflecting on that maybe just a few yards away, our Savior not only died, but rose again. It was amazing. You know, the resurrection is the defining moment for followers of Jesus throughout history. It is the defining moment. Um, without the resurrection, our whole belief system falls apart. There is absolutely no meaning to what we believe without it. Would you agree? You know, there have been people throughout, uh, throughout history who have tried to, to discredit this because if this event didn't happen... Then, then nothing we, we believe as, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, even matters. And there's, there's people that have fought tooth and nail to, to discredit everything. And they have to start here. And, and there have been, been four main theories you, uh, of what could have happened. And, and all of it was around the fact that somebody snuck in there and stole the body. You, you had people that believed it was the Romans that did it. The Romans conspired and figured it out, and they went in and they stole the body. And, and the, the only thing problem, the only big problem with that is the Romans wanted Jesus to stay dead. Because if Jesus stayed dead, there, in their theory anyways, it would, it would, there would be peace. <laughs> this, this guy that's causing a, 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 an insurrection, this guy that, that's, 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 that's a troublemaker, if he could just stay dead, that's going to be good for us. The, the other theory was that, was that some of the, the Orthodox Jews, the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin and all that, the, the other theory was that they stole the body. And the only problem with that is they wanted Jesus to stay dead too. Why? Because if he, if he rose from the dead, or even if people thought he rose from the dead, like, it would make them look silly. Then everything that they believed would, would have been false, and the reason why he went to the cross, would, uh, man, no way. So, so, so that doesn't make any sense either. And then there was another theory. The theory was that the disciples came, and they snuck in, and they rolled the stone away somehow, and they, and, and they stole the body. And, and that theory kind of has holes in it too, because you think, um, have, have, have any of you ever lied? No? Okay, just, 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 just my daughters. <laughs> it, 
you know, you only hold on to, to a lie for so long. All of his disciples were, were martyred for their faith. The, the only one that didn't die for their faith was, was John because he, they tried to. They put him in boiling oil and tried to, tried to kill him, and he wouldn't die. Like, die! And he wouldn't die. But they all went through horrible torture. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the same way his Savior was. You would have thought that if this whole thing was a lie and they were in on it, at some point, even just one of them, even just one of them would have said, it didn't happen. We stole the body. Here it is. One of them would have done that. Don't you think? I would have thought. The, the other idea um, around this was they call it the swoon theory, and, and I, I don't remember why it's called swoon, but, um, but here, go with me. The swoon theory was this, was that, was that Jesus wasn't all dead. He was, most, he was mostly dead. Now, I'm not going to quote any movies right now. It wouldn't be appropriate at Easter. He, he was just mostly dead. Like he was, he was, he was whipped. He was, he was beaten. He was scourged. It, 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 you know, the, when you when you study the, the crucifixion and, and what crucifixion would have been like back then, his his bones would have been laid bare. His organs would have been exposed. He would have been bleeding out of every orifice, is what my mom used to say. Every orifice of his body. I don't even know what an orifice is. Somebody, and. He would have been, it, it would have been, there would have been infection that would have set in. If it would have happened today, even with our medical advances, there would have been no way to, to survive the beating. Eventually, he would have died. The cross sealed the deal. And, and he was hanging there. He was, he was nailed to the cross. He, he was, uh, he, he, most say that he died from, uh, from asphyxiation, trying to breathe in and breathe out. They, they uh, you know, they, they pierced his side and blood and water flowed to confirm that he was dead. I mean, there, if the theory, the swoon theory is that when he came off the cross, everyone thought he was dead. They put him in the tomb thinking he was dead, but he was only mostly dead. And then the disciples come later and somehow roll the stone away, steal him and nurse him back to life. And then he appeared to everybody somehow in his resurrected body. Isn't it, wouldn't you just agree with me that that theory also has holes in it? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say there's one other idea. It actually happened. Like, like our Savior actually conquered death in the grave, that he rose again, that, that everything we believe is actually true, and if it's actually true, then we're responsible for that information. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Everything hinges on this one event. I'd like to suggest, though, this morning, that although this is our defining moment as believers in Jesus, that there may have been a greater defining moment for Jesus. Now, I'm not just, preachers are famous for, uh, you know, saying shock statement uh, things for, because they want the, the kind of the blood, to, blood pressure to rise a little bit and for people to pay attention a little bit more. Like, I, I don't, I, believe me, I am not saying this as a shock statement, but, but it works right now. I don't know that this was Jesus' defining moment. And the, the reason why is um, Jesus was dead. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. This would have been what the Bible says is the Holy Spirit's, the person of the Holy Spirit's defining moment, right? Because the Bible says the same spirit that raised who? Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say this was Holy Spirit's defining moment. This is when Holy Spirit showed up and said, see what I can do. And Jesus comes back. to Jesus' defining moment was a little bit before, I think. Just a little bit before. I, I want to remind us of this. Is, did you realize that at any moment, at any moment, Jesus could have just said, I'm done? At any moment, even to his last dying breath Jesus could have said I'm done and the Bible says he could have called 12 legions of angels and, and he could have he could have kicked butt and taken names and touched himself and been healed and, and he could at any moment he could have done that I've always believed that I've always believed that and then it started to become even more real I want you to watch this Matthew 26 starting in verse 50 it says this then the man stepped forward and see Jesus now they were um th- this was in the garden when Jesus was arrested 
The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. Now, we all know who that was. In one of the other Gospels, it's Peter. Peter did that type of thing. Reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And uh, in another one of the Gospels, Jesus picks the ear up and, and heals the guy's ear. And that's a, that's a really cool, really cool uh, uh, detail. And, and so, so we, we see this. And, and he, go, he cuts off the ear. Jesus says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Verse 53, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I started thinking about this. What does that even mean? <coughs> I mean, 12 legions of angels that Jesus, if he wanted to, at any moment, he could have called 12 legions of angels. Well, well first, I, you have to define, well, what's a legion? And this is, this is what it is. A legion was a Roman military term, and it meant uh, at least 6,000 men in, in, a, in the army. At least 6,000. It could have been more. It, it starts to put in perspective. You remember the story of the gathering demoniac and, and Jesus cast out the demons and the pigs? It says there was a legion of demons. There were at least 6,000 demons inside that man. Mind blown. Yeah? So Jesus is saying, I could call 12 legions of angels. As we start to to just do some simple math, we realize everyone's getting out their calculators on their phones. 12 legions would be a minimum of 72,000 angels. Jesus says, at least, I could at least, I don't know why he picked the, the 12. Someone, someone that's a better Bible scholar than me is going to tell me after service. But listen, listen, he says, I could have at least called 72,000 angels. And I started to think, well, what is that even, like, what would that do? And you go to Isaiah 37, verse 6, and it says this, Then the, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. I just thought I'd bring that up just, just for a little kind of Holy Spirit goosebump moment. Watch. One angel. 185,000 dead bodies. And then you start to do the math. And you start to realize this, that, that one legion of, of, uh, of angels, 6,000 angels, could put to death 1,110,000,000 people right there on the spot. If he just called one legion. Now, now you do the math and you start to realize that, that um, 72,000 angels, 13,320,000,000 people... Ha- at least, I mean, we're just talking just that example. At least, if Jesus, even his last dying breath, he could have said, it's over. And almost twice the population of the world right now in one moment. I, I just, I always kind of wonder, didn't you? Like, like what, what was at Jesus' disposal? If he would, at any moment would have said, it's over. Like, what could he have really done? He could have done anything he wanted. I think it's good for us to know. I want to talk about a few of Jesus' defining moments. First, I want to show you a picture. This is a, a, a picture of Golgotha. And uh, this is one of the two places. Um, I think this place actually looks like Gal- Golgotha. Go to, go to the next picture. You go in a little bit closer. You can't really see it defined right here, but right in front of you is what they would say would, would look like a skull. Go to the next picture. This is a picture of it, and it, it's hard to tell, but right there in the middle towards the top, um, this would be a picture in uh, the early 1900s, like 1901, 1902, so about 100, almost 120 years ago, um, that it, it literally looked like a skull. They would call it Skull, skull Mountain. Right, and over over the last hundred and twenty years or so, it is kind of it's a road, and it, it doesn't look as much like that. Uh, but man, it, it, to me, it looks a little bit like Golgotha. Is there another picture there or not? No, is that it? Good, 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 good. We don't want to give away the next picture, right? Good job, Brad. And and so uh, so so this is where this is where he's at. Maybe go back to the go back to the one before, and and so we're we're at Golgotha. And there's a, there's a famous verse of what Jesus uh, shared right from the cross. He's hanging on the cross, and he says this. He says, 
uh, in Matthew 27, 45 to 46, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and in my, uh, well, I'm gonna try to really pronounce this for you. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, this was a, a low moment. How many would believe that this is a low moment for Jesus? This would be a low moment for any of us. As we hear this, uh, uh, we, we start to, to think about that, that, that maybe God himself turned his back on Jesus. Maybe there was a moment of abandonment. At least Jesus felt that. Even if it didn't really happen, he felt that. He felt that low. And I started to read and study, and again, this isn't for shock value, but I want to give some more, um, maybe some more definition, some more meaning to this phrase. This is, what, um, this is what I found out as I was studying this, this verse. It's actually the first line of Psalm 22. Jesus was quoting the first line of Psalm 22. And in, uh, in traditional ancient Judaism, actually in, in rabbinic pra- uh, practice in ancient Judaism, they would, they would actually allude to a whole passage, a whole psalm, by just quoting the first line. And so it is very possible Jesus being a rabbi having all of these followers and that that he was not only saying this line you know to himself and to God but he was actually alluding to the whole entire Psalm 22 as he is hanging there on the cross and as you start to read that we start to see a few things it starts to make a little bit more meaning to us go go here to to Psalm 22 Obviously, this first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Do you hear kind of the anguish in Jesus as he is alluding to this whole passage for his hearers as he is hanging on the cross? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. King David is writing these words hundreds of, of years before Jesus and you think maybe Jesus is intentionally referring to this psalm verse 7 says all who seek me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads he trusts in the Lord they say let the Lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him verse 16 says dogs surround me a pack of villains encircle me they pierce my hands and feet You think it could be talking about Jesus? All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. See, things start to shift here. This is, this is where, I mean, the first you know, two-thirds of this psalm is, is what, we would, what we would expect from Jesus right there when we hear that first line of the psalm, God, where are you? And then things shift. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Watch this. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. See, I wonder if in this moment, Jesus felt like he was all alone, but knew the truth. Has there ever been a moment like that for you? Where you felt abandoned, you felt rejected, you felt like this was the lowest point in, 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 in your whole life, and yet you dug deep and you said, but I know the truth. I know that he, he isn't far from me. I know that he hasn't. I think Jesus was saying this. He says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. For those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Watch this. Look how victorious this sounds. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve will serve him future generations and we start to talk about legacy 
Jesus is thinking about legacy right here in, in these defining moments on the cross. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet, yet unborn, he has done it. I think Jesus was like rounding third going home. I think he was, I think it was, he like, he was caught the interception and could see the touchdown and it was going to be game over. This was like, this was like the kicker and, and, and the, 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 it's like one second left and he's, he's ready to kick the, the game winning field goal. Jesus is dying on the cross. Some of his last words there and he, and he, yeah, he's feeling in his lowest moment, but he's choosing to say, guess what's right around the corner, everybody? I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Victory is the Lord's, and he will do it. I think, that, I think this, was, this was a victorious moment. And, and this is what happens. It looks like de- defeat, but it's victory. I mean, he, he's, he's modeling something for us, for you and me, that there's times when it looks like defeat, but victory is right around the corner. And as defining of a moment as that was, I still don't think it was the greatest defining moment. There were, there were others, and Brad's going to show some more pictures. What's this other picture that we have, Brad? Uh, I, I was able to, to go to a place where they believed that this would have been uh, um, the, the high priest Caiaphas's home. And, and, and here's this picture, and, and right here, this would have been where, where Caiaphas would have lived. And, and then there was this, this next picture. Go here. And we, we were in this, this like deep kind of basement dungeon of where they believed Jesus would have been held the night before his trial. Now, he was arrested at night, and they did some sort of kind of a trial, but it was an illegal trial. They weren't allowed to, to have, the Jews weren't allowed to have a trial at night for some reason. So they, they did like an illegal trial. They waited until morning and did an official trial to make it legal. They would have held him at night right there. Look at, so we're, we're, we're in this dungeon area, and we're reading the Psalms, and I, I get down, like, and I take a picture up to see what Jesus would have seen. He would have been looking up, and I wonder, man, could this have been, watch this next picture. Now, this was, like, this was so busy. People were in and out. Like in this room, we were, we were waiting in line to get to this room. I'm walking by above, and the, for, like, a minute, or, or I'm sorry, not a minute, like one and a half seconds, there was nobody there, and I took a picture. Isn't that like, that, that's like National Geographic worthy right there. And I, I watch this, and I just think about Jesus. Could this have been one of the defining moments? Nothing, nothing had happened yet. He, he was arrested, maybe a little embarrassing, but, but man, he hadn't, been, he hadn't been beaten yet. He hadn't been flogged it was coming, and he knew what was coming. Maybe this was it. Maybe this was one of those moments. I don't think it was the defining moment, though. Watch the next one. And this was, this is one of the places where they think that Peter would have denied him. Where the, in fact, there's a statue. I didn't, I didn't show it, to, I'm not showing it to you today, but there's a statue of a, of a rooster, and, um, on a, and, and they believe this is where, this is where the rooster would have crowed three times, and Jesus, uh, Jesus would have looked at, at Peter, and there would have been this moment where Peter breaks down, and I mean, poor Peter, but poor Jesus, one of his best friends says, nope, I don't even know him. Never even heard of the guy. Nope, nope, not me. And you start to feel this, the weight that he, it's not just the weight of the world, like he is all alone. Maybe this was one of those defining moments. I think it was. I just don't think it was the defining moment. We come to this next place, Matthew 26. We're rewinding all the way past all the way past all of those events, uh, there's, there's other defining moments, and we could take time with that. We, 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 we rewind all the way there. We, we pass the place where he's arrested and the ears cut off, and you imagine like if you were rewinding, and, and it was just... We come back all the way here. Matthew 26, verse 36. says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul 
is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I, I, I hear that line, and I start to feel like, you know what? It's okay for me to, be, to feel those emotions. Jesus did. Jesus did and was without sin. Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He, it's okay to feel. Jesus did. You don't have to deny those feelings, but we start to see what Jesus did with those emotions. He, he, he's not run by his emotions. He doesn't take, make decisions based on his emotions, but he felt those emotions. He felt them so strongly here in this passage. Sorrowful and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And I, and I hear this phrase, and I realize Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. I, I hear this, and I realize that, that in this moment, now he is 100% God and 100% man. Philippians tells us he pushed pause on, on, on functioning as God while he was here on earth, and he, and he did that so he could be the perfect example for us. And in his humanity, he is sitting here in this moment praying. He is sorrowful even to the point of death. And he says, Father, if it's possible to do it some other way, sign me up. Because I would rather not die on the cross. I know what's coming. Jesus was the, the, one of the most prophetic people that, you, that you'd ever meet. He knew. He knew sometimes people's thoughts. He knew what was coming the next day. I, I know that he could close his eyes and he could see them arresting him. He could see uh, him being held in Caiaphas's basement. He could see Peter denying him. He could see the, the, the whips and, the, and being flogged and the crown of thorns and the cross. He could see all of that in this moment. I know he saw that. And he said, Father, if there be any any way to do it some other way. I don't think he wanted to die. And it goes on in, in verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. <laughs> He's feeling all this and his best friends are asleep. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? All our prayer intercessors say the same thing, right? <laughs> he asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. In a little bit different wording, but the same way. Hey, may your will be done, but... And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. This time he didn't bother them. He went back. He left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. I, um, this, is, this caught me different. Maybe for the first time since I, I've probably read this passage hundreds of times throughout the years. And, and I realized Jesus asked the same thing three times. He really, really, really didn't want to die on the cross. He really, really, really didn't want to go through what was going to happen over the next few hours. He asked for it to be taken three times and three times. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. He returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer, and it starts. Let me show you a couple pictures here. This is uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, um, actually, the, it, the word in Hebrew actually means oil press. We're in, a, we're in a garden, we're in a grove of olive trees. These olive trees are, um, are actually hundreds of years old. Now, um, the, the, the conservative count would be that they, most of these would date back to like the Crusades and all of that. Some of them 800 years old. Some of them, uh, you know, 1,000 years old. Um, olive trees, they say, on the high end, depending on who you're talking to, could, could uh, um, last even 2,000 years old. Um, 
but uh, uh, likely none of these trees were there in the garden. But science has proven that these trees would have at least come from the same olive trees that were in the garden of Gethsemane. I mean, these olive trees would, uh, they, they survive everything. You could cut them off at the stump and, and shoots would, would grow up and, and they, would, they, they could survive fire, they could survive, dev- I mean, that's why they survive all of the different destruction of, of Jerusalem over the years. I mean, these are, these are some, some bad boys right there. This is the, the oldest um, tree in, in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, currently. Um, and they know that because of how big it is, but it's also the, the older they get, they're actually hollow on the inside, and this is a hollowed-out olive tree, but it's still healthy and vibrant. There would have likely been an, um, an olive press in the garden. Um, do we have a picture of one of those? Oh, oh, wait, here's the... This is... There's a church, right? In fact, um, at every um, uh, uh, holy site where someone, something significant happened, they build a church. Um, at every holy site. And they built this church around what they, I don't know if you can see, but right there on the floor, they believe that this is the rock where Jesus would have sweated drops of blood. And uh, it's tradition. You, we, you really don't know. They tell you when you're in Israel, um, this is fact and this is tradition. This would be tradition, that that would have been the rock that Jesus would have prayed on and, and sweated drops of blood. Um, and and so I want to talk to you for a second here about this, this oil press. I think it's the next picture. So this is, this is a traditional oil press from ancient, um, ancient Israel, ancient Judaism. And, and this, is what, this is what you find. In both ancient times and today, making olive oil is slow and laborious process. In ancient times, olives were crushed with a wheel. The resulting pulp was placed in woven baskets and squeezed in a press yielding rich olive oil. In fact, I think, go to the, there's another picture there. Yeah, and then you go to the next one. And, and these, I don't know if you can see, but this would have been that, after that initial crushing, then it would go to this process, and there would be bags, and they would, they would squeeze it, and, and, and the oil and the, the different substance would come out. And it was a long process. And it would yield rich olive oil that flowed out of the baskets many holes. This process could take days. Many olive presses have been ex- excavated throughout Israel, attesting the central role this food played in ancient Israel. And so you see all of this. But I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to share this part. It says that the fruit tastes very bitter at this point. To get the oil of the fruit uh, and its seed, they have to be crushed by great weight. And when, you're, when, when they do this, there's actually... it's crushed and it's pressed three different times i started to think about the three different times jesus prayed in the garden that he was he was crushed and he was pressed and you could talk about the different times throughout the the passion week you could talk about the different places but i'm thinking in this garden the three times he goes back and the three times he's crushed and he's and he's pressed and and it's interesting what happens with this with this olive oil the crushing removes the bitterness of the olive and in the same manner, Jesus was crushed under the burden and the weight of our sins and under the judgment of a holy God. He was crushed to become the anointing oil that heals us today. And this is interesting. The, the, the first crushing produces this, this extra virgin olive oil, the best, the best oil, and, it, and used for anointing, anointing kings. It's used for all of those types of things. Uh, th- there's another crushing that would, that would produce a, uh, another type of oil, not as pure as the first, but it would it'd be used for, for things, maybe lighting lamps, maybe different things like this. And, and uh, um, there's another crushing that would be used for medicinal purposes. It would become, one would become uh, medicinal. Another crushing would become um, like, like soap. It would be turned into soap. And I started to think, that, man, the anointing, the, the healing, the, the cleansing, that the crushing, maybe there's parallelism between what actually happens with the olive and what happened with Jesus in a place called Gethsemane, olive press. Man, this is, this is crazy stuff. This is the place, I believe, I believe this was his defining moment before everything happened. Before, before he was arrested, before anything, before he was scourged, before he was whipped, before he was held in Caiaphas' basement, before the cross, before any of this. I think it was here. 
I think it was in this place. It, I think this was Jesus' defining moment when he chose the Father's will over his will. He made his final decision to be Savior of the world right here. He knew about it. He talked about it with his disciples. He shared parables about it. He shared sermons about it, all of this. And everything came up to the moment where he's like, oh, this is actually going to happen. And it was in this moment where he chose. He chose the Father's will. He chose loyalty to the Father above everything else he desired right here. He chose to be arrested, embarrassed, betrayed, beaten, and scourged right here. He chose the cross right here. He saw the resurrection right here, just days before it happened. And Jesus' decision for us in his darkest hours paved the way for us to make decisions for him in our darkest hours. And that's the moment. That was his defining moment when it was quiet and his disciples were asleep before the guards came and he was praying by himself anticipating everything that was going to come. He chose. He chose his father. He chose me. He chose you. He chose. I believe he knew everything that was going to unfold. There's an opportunity for us today. Whether you've known him a long time or whether you've, you'd say, Pastor Jonathan, I don't know. If I were to die today, I don't know if I would go to heaven. That's, a, that's an important decision to make. Uh, there, there, Jesus, Jesus went through all that he went through so that we could make this decision and it's not lightly a lot of times throughout church history different churches and leaders have have made it sound so super easy to become a christian just say these words and you and and then and then you get your ticket to heaven and it's going to be easy i just want you to know like living for jesus isn't easy but it's worth it like like it it costs everything like you actually have to when you come to him, he, he helps you change. Like you, you leave the past behind. You leave lifestyles behind. You leave, you leave uh, vices behind and, and addictions behind and, and all of these other things. But you leave it behind and you say, it's all worth it for him. I mean, it wasn't easy when those early Christians, those early believers, it wasn't easy when they chose Jesus. I mean, many of them, like I said, like, like they died for it. And I don't know that any of us will live long enough to have to, to go through any of that. But man, I'll tell you what, the decision to say Jesus and Jesus alone, it means everything. It means everything. And, and this, is what, this is what you do. Is, is in, in a moment like this, uh, I, I kind of view this as our garden of Gethsemane this morning. In a moment where it's relatively quiet except for my daughter. And this chair maybe, maybe becomes your, your rock. Maybe you sit in it, maybe you turn around in it, but this is that moment for us, whether you've known him a long time or whether you don't know him yet, and you get to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You get to say something like this, Jesus, would you forgive me for everything I've done up until this point right now and everything I will do? Lord, would you Allow your forgiveness to wash over me. I confess with my mouth that you're Lord. And I believe in my heart, Father, that you raised your son from the dead, that, that, that resurrection Sunday morning actually happened regardless of what other people say. I believe it. I believe it with every fiber of my being. And if that's what you say and what you believe, you pray a simple prayer like that in your own words and, and with your, their own meaning in your heart. The, the, the Bible says is that, is that like, there's a transaction that happens. It's more than just words at that point. Like, you were dead. The Bible says you were dead in your transgressions and you become alive. All of a sudden, the most, I say the most supernatural thing, and, and, and if you've ever been to our church before, you know that, that we believe in the supernatural. We believe in physical healing. We believe, we believe in the presence of God. We, we believe that you can, like, like he's here and you can touch him and you can feel him. The most supernatural thing that will ever happen to you is when you, you are dead in your transgressions and you become alive. You become alive in him. I want you to know that this can happen for you today. The other thing is, some of you have been, uh, you, you've been a, a Christian a long time, you know, and, and somewhere along the line, you, you asked him into your heart at one point, and somewhere along the line, you got off track. Galatians says you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? 
And I just want to challenge you today. You may say, Jonathan, there was, there was a time when I gave my heart to the Lord. I just haven't been living like it. This may be a day, this may be your Gethsemane where you rededicate your heart to the Lord. What we're going to do here is I'm going to invite my friend Irv to come and sing a song. And I'd like you to, to just sit in a re- place of reflection. You, you may, uh, if, if this is a day where you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or, or rededicate him, you have a connect card. And if you don't have one, steal one from your friend. And this is one way that at some point you can just say, yes, that's me. And you can write, you can check on that, on that connect card and put your name on it that I want to give my heart to the Lord and, and one of us will follow up with you and pray with you this week. And that's going to be one way. In a little bit, if you're a little bit more brave than that, we also have um, altar teams that are going to come forward and are ready and willing to pray with you for anything. Not just this, it could be anything that you want prayer for. But I want us to hear this because listen, in the, at the end of this whole legacy series, and at the end of this legacy message about Jesus, may our heart be that the greatest legacy we pass on is only Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Our worship team is going to come forward and our altar teams, you can come even at this, at this time. And um, just want to remind you, you can have prayer for anything today, but this, um, maybe this is your defining moment to choose Jesus for the first time. Maybe this is your defining moment to choose Jesus again for the first time. And we'd love to partner with you today. And right now, Jesus... It's not going to be a good message or a good song. It's going to be any of that. It's going to be your Holy Spirit right now drawing hearts. Lord, would you draw hearts? May this be the moment. May this be the Gethsemane moment for people today that they look back for the rest of their lives and say everything shifted on that day. In Jesus' name. Could we stand together this morning? I just want to thank you for being here. Spirit of Life Church. Resurrection Sunday. Would you stay as long as you'd like? The worship team's going to play, and you can worship with us if you'd like, and you can also leave. I know some of you have got plans. and So thank you for being here. God bless. I love you very much. We'll see you next week as we start a series called The Aftermath. What happened after Easter? You won't want to miss it. God bless. <laughs>